Welcome to the Gospel Saves Podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. Please visit thegospelsaves.me. Welcome back to our study of the resurrection of Jesus. In previous podcasts, I considered the testimony of 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8, and how the resurrection of Jesus is central to the good news preached by his apostles. Three days before he was raised from the dead, Jesus was crucified, a fact attested by both the New Testament and external sources. His disciples were convinced, beyond the shadow of a doubt, Jesus was raised from the dead, a point I will consider at length in this podcast. On our last program, we spent most of our time talking about how we can be sure that Jesus died by crucifixion. Not only do we have that information contained in the gospel accounts and elsewhere in the New Testament, but we also know this from history as well, that the Jewish historian Josephus, the Roman historian Tacitus, and the Roman writer Lucian all confirmed that Jesus died by crucifixion. So this is a well-established historical fact, and there's no reason to doubt it. Nor is there any reason to doubt whether or not Jesus actually died. The trauma that one experienced when crucified was such that no one could survive it. And Roman soldiers were experts at detecting whether or not their crucifixion victim was in fact dead. So there's little reason for us to believe that this aspect of the gospel is not true. I think we can be as certain of this as we are of anything. As I drew last week's lesson to a close, we were talking about the very impressive list of witnesses that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. And this list is the the second fact that I think helps establish the resurrection. That these disciples were convinced that they had witnessed Jesus risen from the dead. Now we know that Jesus appeared to Peter. Luke tells us so in Luke chapter 24, verse 34. We know that he appeared to the twelve. Luke tells us this as well as John. Paul tells us that he appeared to James, that he appeared to all the apostles, and we know that this happened on a couple of different occasions. We know that he appeared to Saul of Tarsus. Not only does Paul tell us here, but we're told that in the book of Acts on three different occasions. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and Acts chapter 26. What's really interesting about this list is the 500 brethren that Paul talks about. Now, this is the only time in the New Testament that this particular part is mentioned, that Jesus appeared to more than 500 brethren. And there's a lot of speculation as to where this took place. I think it is likely that this took place when Jesus appeared up in Galilee. That happens in the 28th chapter of Matthew. That's when Jesus gives the Great Commission. And since his ministry centered in the the province of Galilee, I think it to be quite likely that this is where, where that appearance took place. The reason why Paul brings this up is also extremely compelling. He observes that most of these brethren remain, but some have fallen asleep. Now, why mention that some of these brethren are still around? Well, it seems that Paul is at least implying that the Corinthians can go visit and talk with these witnesses. What? You, you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, 
Go talk to these folks. There's over 500 people that saw him. Get in a boat and go check it out for yourself. They'll tell you. Yeah, some have died, but most of them are still around. As one New Testament historian observed, there can hardly be any purpose in mentioning the fact that most of the 500 are still alive unless Paul is saying, in effect, the witnesses are there to be questioned. As far as I know, there is little doubt that Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians and that this letter was written in the 50s A.D., So basically, Paul is telling the Corinthians, if you have doubts concerning the resurrection, go talk to these brethren. They will tell you. And once again, we have independent attestation. We have these appearances that are reported by more than one person. For instance, the appearance to Peter is confirmed by both Luke and Paul. The appearance to the twelve is reported by Paul, Luke, and John. The appearance to women is attested by Matthew and John. Mark, Matthew, and John all attest that Jesus appeared to his disciples in Galilee. So not only do we have eyewitness testimony, we have multiple accounts of eyewitness testimony. Once again, very compelling evidence. We also have, before our eyes, in the pages of the New Testament, a transformation that takes place on the part of the Apostles. Remember how Jesus' apostles react when the authorities came to arrest him in the garden. What did they do? Well, nine of them scattered. Remember, Judas was there leading the authorities to arrest Jesus. Nine of them scattered. Peter and John went as far as the trial. John, it appears, knew the high priest and was able to get into the trial before the Sanhedrin. And we know that John went all the way to the cross with Jesus and observed his death there. But most of the disciples scattered. They went their separate ways. And as Matthew brings out, this was something that was prophesied, that the shepherd would be struck and the sheep would scatter. After Jesus' resurrection, when he presented himself as alive to the disciples, we're told in Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, in that appearance in Galilee, that some of them still doubted, even at that moment, even with the risen Christ standing in front of them, even after they had interacted with him and were talking with him, they were still doubtful. John confirms this in John chapter 20, verse 25. But from that moment... To the second chapter of Acts, in just a period of a few weeks, we see a complete turnaround on the part of all twelve apostles. By Acts chapter 2, they are fully persuaded. There is not a doubt in their mind of the things that they have witnessed. So much so that they, along with Peter, stand up on that day of Pentecost and they say, Together, even though Peter's the one who's speaking, they they are all witnesses of this. Peter even refers to this in uh, verse number 32. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. They are speaking through Peter with one voice. They are saying, we have seen Jesus risen from the dead. Now think of the transformation that's just taken place. A few weeks before they scattered at Jesus' arrest, now they are standing up in front of all their countrymen from all different parts of the world and they are saying, We saw this man risen from the dead. Now go ahead just a couple more chapters 
to chapter number 5. They've been arrested by the Sanhedrin. They're on trial. In verse 29, we know that Peter was a spokesman, but the other 11 were right there with him. In verse 32, Peter says, We are his witnesses. Yes, Peter was speaking, but hes you can almost imagine him pointing at his fellow apostles and saying, We are his witnesses. The Sanhedrin commands them not to preach in the name of Jesus. They beat the apostles. And in verses 40 and 41, they go on their way rejoicing. Rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. This is the attitude that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. These men were glad. They were rejoicing. The transformation is complete. Men who were cowering in fear a few weeks before have now been completely transformed. And what transformed them? And it's not just this brief period of of a few weeks or a few months. It's also how their lives ended. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, For I think God has exhibited us apostles, last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Paul's saying, we're, we're like actors on a stage, in front of all the world, in front of all the angelic host, acting out this part. And ultimately our destiny is death. They were going to die for their testimony. We see this as early as Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, when James, the the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, is beheaded for his testimony. Peter alludes to the fact that his death is just right around the corner. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, that he is going to lay aside his tabernacle just as Jesus had showed him. And if the historical account is to be believed, Peter was crucified on a cross, just as Jesus was. Why were these men willing to completely transform their lives? Why were they willing to go to their death? Why were they willing to be alienated from the religion and the the nation that they had known for their entire lives up to this point? Why were they willing to do that? Well, the only answer that seems to make sense of all this is that they were fully persuaded that Jesus had, in fact, risen from the dead. In their book, The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus, Habermas and Lacona write this, After Jesus' death, the lives of the disciples were transformed to the point that they endured persecution and even martyrdom. Such strength of conviction indicates that they were not just claiming that Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to them in order to receive some personal benefit. They really believed it. Compare this courage to their character at Jesus' arrest and execution. They denied and abandoned him, then they hid in fear. Afterward, they willingly endangered themselves by publicly proclaiming the risen Christ. I could not have said it better myself. These men transformed. We can see their metamorphosis before our very eyes. 
Men who were ashamed at one moment, a few weeks later, were bold. They were not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were fully persuaded that it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. They were willing to stand and they were willing to die for that faith. And that, my friends, is powerful evidence. Powerful evidence that in fact today, the tomb of Jesus is empty. And that he now sits glorified at the right hand of God. Thanks for listening to The Gospel Saves. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find him on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know and do his perfect will. So